And I say, okay, no worries. And I hand over my bag, not thinking. See, on my shirt is this image. On my shirt is this militant image of love. On my shirt is this image of somebody fighting with different kind of weapons. But this has a context, and the context is, of course, that it's on a wall in Jerusalem in a context where um, the Antifada, after the Nakba, that people are, are fighting non-violently for a new future for both people instead of just one people. I was there working with the church, um, which is a Palestinian church, because all the Christians in the Holy Land, the majority of Christians in the Holy Land, are Palestinian. And I'm wearing this shirt, and I'm not thinking, and I give them my bag, and of course, I fall asleep on the flight, and as we start to arrive in Tel Aviv, somebody uh, over the loudspeaker um, says, um, oh, we're about to arrive, and so I go to reach for my bag to change my shirt, only my bag isn't there. Where's my bag? It's underneath, and I'm wearing this shirt. And I know I've got to get through IDF security to get into the airport and actually have my time here. And this is the only shirt I've got. So I go to the bathroom, I turn my shirt inside out. You can still see Banksy's like thing on the shirt and I'm like, it's not gonna work. I turn it backwards and then I've got the tag at the front. So I rip the tag off and I tear the top of my shirt. So I get out my jacket, I'm wearing a jacket and my shirt is torn and I step off the plane and I'm praying the whole way, please, Lord, please, 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 let me just get through, let me just get through. And I didn't get off the little, you know how you turn and you go through a little tunnel and you're not even in the airport. There, there is a soldier with a gun uh, as people are walking through and I'm not even off and he says, you, you come with me. I spent the next hours detained as uh, two different aid organisations um, bargained to actually allow me to stay. I missed it. I got it horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. My intentions were one thing, but I completely lost it and I lost the shirt and I missed it completely. When it comes to this text, we do the same thing. When it comes to this text, much like we have seen that the easiest way to miss Jesus' revolution is to think it's about going to heaven when you die, to think about it's your kingdom we will go instead of your kingdom come. To think about it's an otherworldly thing instead of a thisworldly thing that's turning this world upside down. See, it's not merely about some personal opinions. Jesus is Lord isn't a nice spirituality that, you know, that's just my opinion. It's a radical way of a challenging politics. Do you know, in the first century, they would have sung things like, Caesar, beautiful Caesar. What's the next line? Wonderful Saviour, glorious, glorious Lord. Literally, the Son of God was Caesar. And as we go to our next slide, thanks, James. We often hear people avoid the kingdom revolution, this mustard seed revolution, by quoting this text. And we miss that it's actually a subversion. We miss that it's a bit like the guy with the Molotov cocktails, but only there's flowers in his hands. You know when JC, a couple of months back, did that brilliant sermon about Jesus and the woman who was caught in adultery, and we had to drop our stones. Do people remember that? You could see there this creative way of the kingdom that's fighting with a different kind of weapons where it stunned everybody. Everybody was just like, oh my goodness, no one expected that. And it's this creative kingdom way that no one expects. That's exactly what's going on in this text, which isn't there. If we go to the next one, James, there we go. When, then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he had said. 
They, so they sent the disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now Herodians are a group, or another political group, and they're in bed with Herod. That means that they're making money off the colonizers. That means that they're turned down the emphasis on resurrection, make a few bucks, let's try and work within the system. While the Pharisees, they've got a different agenda. They're big on resurrection and they're like, we're waiting for the revolution. But you know what? We're not about to take up swords like the zealots. And these two groups are present and they're both gunning for Jesus here saying, teacher, we know that you are sincere. They're buttering him up. And teach, us, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show no difference to anyone, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor, to Caesar, or not? He is trapping them. See, what the zealots would say, those who take up the swords, of course we're not to pay taxes to Caesar every coin what is literally written on the coin and you can see it up here is a picture of who and it says son of god see son of god is a political claim son of god is about who really governs the world son of god is who gets the last word son of god is who is really king and so they're trying to trap jesus but if he goes and says oh just give it to caesar that's you know that's another worldly thing, don't, don't worry about that. Well, then Jesus is in bed with the Herodians. But if, if he says, no, 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 that's rubbish, well, they've trapped him and now they can get him. So instead, watch how Jesus does this like spiritual jujitsu, swings the energy that they've got and throws it on its head. He says, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why are you putting me to the test? You hypocrites, show me a coin you use for tax. And they bought him a denarius. And then he said to them, whose head is on this and whose title? Now Jesus is asking the Pharisees, who's on here? Who's on the coin? And who is on the coin? Caesar. The image of Caesar is on the coin. Out of interest, the image of who is in everyone? Huh. The image of God is in everyone. And suddenly, here's the Pharisees who have this protest movement and they're trying to trap him to say, okay, just do this two-kingdom thing where it's like, oh, we'll just do politics like the world does politics, but we'll have this like, little spiritual belief. And they're trying to trap him and, and say, okay, so you're going to call for revolution, Jesus, like we're expecting revolution, or are you going to side with the Herodians? And instead, Jesus flips it back on them and he says, who's on the coin? Herod. And who does the coin say Herod is? And he makes the Pharisees say it, son of God, welcome to the clash of two different kingdoms. Then he said to them, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Out of interest, Dorothy Day says, once you've given to God what is God's, you find that there's not much left over for Caesar. This is the point of the text. And if we go back one slide, thanks, Jane. Previously on Kingdom Revolution, if you weren't here with us last week, this is what we covered that in John 18. First, the kingdom is in the world, is for the world, but is not like the world or from the world. Second, that's why we reject violence. If my followers were like the world, they would fight to defend me. You remember this? One of the nature, one of the things that makes Jesus' kingdom not like this world, but is coming to this world, is their refusal to fight like they fight. Instead, we're found with flowers in our hands instead of Moloch cocktails. Instead of cursing 
we bless. Instead of hating our enemies, we love our enemies. We bless those that curse us. We do good to those who despitefully use us. This is the revolution that Jesus calls us to. This is what Jesus does on the cross. If you were wondering, well, what is this Christian revolution like? Because there are a lot of things throughout Christian history that look nothing like Jesus. In fact, there are a lot of things throughout Christian history where you take the language of Christianity and you just apply it to Caesar. And some people do that because of point three, bifurcated salvation or two kingdom ethic, which says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and everything Caesar's. But your hearts, oh, you can give them to God. And we need to name it for what it is and the initials are helpful. B.S. When we take the language of Christianity and we apply it to colonizing regimes which wipe out others, we need to name it for what it is. When we put crosses on our shields and crosses in the shape, swords in the shape of crosses and march into war, we need to call it for what it is. When we go crusading for a crucified God while crucifying others, we need to name it for what it is. Our weapons are not of this world. We don't wage war like the world does. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but is against what? And powers and authorities of this dark age. And now we're starting to get a sense of the kingdom revolution. If it doesn't make sense why they would crucify Jesus for it and why the early church would die and witness to it, it's probably not the gospel. If your grace isn't as dangerous as what we see at Calvary and that is ours in the resurrection, it's probably not the gospel. If it doesn't humble all of us with an awareness that we are all part of the problem, There is no group that says, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. But we're all caught in this thing together. And yet, by grace, we're all invited into this great cosmic cleanup of all things that comes strangely through a cross and is even more strangely only continued by a crucifiable love. That's the only way you witness to Jesus. If you go harassing people and getting in people's face and telling people about Jesus, but you don't love them in the process... That doesn't look like Jesus. Even the demons say that Jesus is the son of God. You can say the correct things about God and it come from a demon rather than somewhere that is divine. And the difference is, does it look like the love of Calvary? Are we starting to preach? Are we hearing what this kingdom revolution is actually about? Which, James, if you take us to our next slide. Oh, and before we do, the Reverend Dr. Grace, she put it like this. How old is Gracie now? 11 years old. From the, the mouth of Kidleywinks, is my paraphrase, the world isn't how Jesus wants it to be. So, of course, his kingdom is not from this world. That's a great summary. So, on to this week's text. Thanks, James. We'll go to the next slide. And the one after that. And now another parable he put forward to them. The kingdom of heaven, and remember, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same reality. For Jewish people who reverence the name of God, the unspeakable name of God, you wouldn't merely just say God like it was a flippant thing. You're talking about a mystery that is beyond our comprehension, yet is not beyond our experience. We should talk of gods in such ways that creates humility in us and makes us lean in in wonder and creates humility. And people are like, there's something about them, that they've undergone something that is bigger than themselves. The English word understand is helpful. It's something we stand under. It's not something we control. It's not like my theology, have you signed up to this? It's something that we've undergone and we're trying to live in the, in the aftermath of. 
trying to love like we've been loved. That's, and the kingdom of heaven is a Jewish way of not talking about a place, but a presence. And some of you are like, but Jared, John 14. Peter's about to deny Jesus. Jesus knows this and he says, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it wasn't so, I, I wouldn't have told you. So there, Jared, it is about heaven. The word we have there in my father's house is the word in. It's the same word that's used of there is no room at the inn when Jesus was born. You don't go to an inn to live forever. It's a hotel. In my father's hotel, <laughs> there are many rooms. And so, okay, so we go and stay there once we die, but you don't stay in an inn forever. You stay in an inn until you go where? Home. Guess where home is? Here. The reason why we need to pay more attention to God's good creation is because God so loved the world. The reason why the world matters, the reason why matter matters, is because God so loved the world. The kingdom is coming here. And so you're like, well, where's grandma? You're like, I'm not sure. Jesus says he prepares a room. But the hope is not we get to go stay in an inn. It's that all of this will be transformed. Are we starting to hear? So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not a place, it's a presence. So what is it like, Jesus? And Jesus, of course, goes to Psalm 92, verse 12, where it says, The righteous, they grow and flourish like the cedars of Lebanon. And all the crowd said, Man, that's a sermon we want to hear. Cedars of Lebanon. Yes, you know when like Solomon planted all those cedars along, these big, powerful trees. Those of us who um, uh, leave up here and go and spend time maybe on the, on the Bibbulmun track and, and time in that sacred land down there where the Tingle forests are, people spend time down there. And so, like, just incredible. That's the kind of image we want, right? We want big, magnificent, majestic. We want that kind of... And Jesus has got ample material for calling on the cedars of Lebanon. But instead, he says... The kingdom of heaven, this kingdom revolution, what's it like? Mustard seeds. And so you hear these cute kind of sermons about, we start small, but you can be a great tree. And the only problem with that is those sermons come from people who've never put their hands in the dirt. <laughs> these seeds aren't the smallest of all seeds. So is Jesus, oh, he's a great saviour, not a very good gardener. Is that what's going on here? We're like, oh, we were just... Run, rush past that and pretend that that's not happening. But much like the image of the guy who's got flowers, we need to see the subversion that's going on and know that it's got the same power, the same energy of somebody who's going to attack, but the attack, the weapon is actually love. So what's going on here? Mustard seeds, it can also be translated in the translation you got here, the least of seeds. I like that because it sounds like Matthew 25, the least of these, and there is a connection. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. This morning, talking Matthew 25, we have another brother who has died in custody in our state. We had Mr. Ward, we had Miss Do, and we've got somebody else that has died this morning in this state. And Jesus says, I was imprisoned and you visited me, and whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. What is needed in Western Australia is a mustard seed revolution. 
is the kind of revolution where we realize we are committed to revolution and our weapon is love. Because there are literally people dying because of the color of their skin and because of fires. And it's 2017 and it's still happening. Oh, but Jared, now you're talking politics. No, we're talking hope coming in our neighborhoods. We're talking hope in our streets. We're talking the transformation that God longs to bring in us, longs to bring out throughout all of society. So how's it coming? It's coming from the least of seeds. Why is mustard seed the least of seeds? Anybody seen mustard seeds in the wild? They're a weed. Rabbinical law would actually have you can't plant mustard seeds in your garden. Rabbis would say you can't plant because to be a good neighbor is not to let these loose. Jesus uses an, a metaphor that's much like a virus. He's saying it's not unholiness which is infectious. It's holiness which is infectious. It's mercy. It's compassion that's infectious. And you know what the kingdom of heaven, you know what God's revolution is like? It's like a weed because whoever takes the least of these seeds and then it says grows into the tallest of all shrubs. It's not a tree. It's not a great tree. We're not looking for a great empire to come. We're looking for this small covering that maybe grows to about my height that covers the countryside like a weed, and yet you can't stop it. There's something contagious about it. And Jesus says, my revolution isn't like these mighty cedar trees of Lebanon. It's like the weeds that rabbis tell you, don't put these in your garden because you know how it grows? Like wildfire. Not from taking over from on top, but by just taking over from below. Can you hear something of the revolution? Can you see the flowers in the hand? This is a different way of conquering. This is a different way of thinking. But mustard seeds also have this other inference in the ancient world. Decarius, who was a, a Persian ruler, was going to battle against Alexander the Great, the great Greek war hero. And he sent, Decarius sent this massive bag of sesame seeds as a threat to say how many of us there are against your army. Do you know what Alexander the Great sent in response? Just a few mustard seeds. What was he communicating? See, has anybody put a mustard seed in their mouth? What, what happens? Mustard seeds. JC, I, I know you love me enough to forgive me. Mustard seeds release their power when they're what? Again, mustard seeds release their power when they're what? See, Caesar, Caesar promised victory comes, or peace comes through victory. And that was the banner. Peace through victory. Peace through victory. Jesus talking of a mustard seed, he's talking about victory through peace. See, it's when a mustard seed is crushed that it has its most power. The early church said that the seeds, the blood of the martyrs is the seeds of the church. That the church, when they love, 
in Calvary-like, crucifiable ways, not trying to influence others from on top, but actually getting on with the business of living God's love. And as they did that, even if the government crushed them, guess what's released? Power. On Calvary, we see Christ crushed. On Calvary, we see true power. Calvary isn't weakness. Calvary is the power of God's love, which for us is weakness. And so Paul says things like, the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of us. This is the foolishness of the cross, that God chooses the least of seeds, not those who are respected, not those who have high status, but those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in the kind of trust that would, they would take part in the mustard seed revolution. You know why the early church was a movement filled with women? Because it showed a kind of power that they were otherwise denied in society. You know why it was a movement where eunuchs were welcomed in, even though that was a sexual category that no one wanted anything to do with unless you were serving in a court of law? Because they were taking part in a mustard seed revolution where their lack of power actually made room for God's power. You know why orphans and widows flocked to this early mustard seed movement? It's because they were shown the kind of dignity that even though Caesar image might be on these coins, you know what image is on you? You're a child of God. The lost, the last, the least, the left out, the looked over, those who are poor in the eyes of the world, God says, you will be rich in faith. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but the early church, this mustard seed revolution, they trusted in the Lord our God. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. And in terms of church history, there is a direct correlation with manifestations of God's power through the Holy Spirit and when the church got into power. And guess what disappeared as we gave up the mustard seed revolution and instead picked up an agenda of becoming like the cedars of Lebanon. Guess what disappeared? Power of the Holy Spirit. The early apostles, they said, silver and gold have I not, but get up and walk. St. Francis, when he was being shown through the Vatican in the 12th century, the person showing him through said, no longer can we say silver and gold, we have not. They said it as a joke. And St. Francis responds, but nor can we say pick up your mat and walk. A mustard seed revolution knows that God's power is this kind of love that Christ has conquered with. The, the cross is not the defeat of love at the hands of evil, injustice, sin, oppression and death. Instead, the cross is love's defeat of evil, injustice, sin and death at the nail-scarred hands of God. Can you hear something of the mustard seed revolution? As we go to our final slide. And, oh, as we do, this last bit, the birds of the air come and nest in their branches. It's a lovely image, isn't it? No. It's yet another image where people put up scarecrows in their gardens to scare these people off. Birds of the air, this is why in Luke 4 they try and push Jesus off a cliff because he starts talking about these outsiders, these foreigners, who God's heart is for. And people are like, what? Who? Those of us who were here this morning, 
who haven't been here for 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 years, we should have a sense of humility while meeting on Noongar land. But for those of us who are here this morning who aren't Jewish, we should have a sense of humility that we've been let in because we are birds who come and nest in this strange movement that covers the hills, not as tall trees, but as this weed that takes over and makes room for those that others discount. The cornerstone that they rejected. Can you hear me? Can you get a sense of revolution? As we go to our last slide. The seeds you plant will determine the plant that grows. The seed that is crushed releases its power. In the, this kingdom revolution, the means are the end. As in, the only way to God's future, it is victory through peace, not Caesar's peace through victory. The reason why Christians love is because we are witnessing to love. There is no way to witness to Jesus without living like Jesus. And you're like, well, Jared, you don't know me. You don't know my problem with alcohol. You don't know my gambling problem. You don't know my addiction to success and the like, favour of others. You, you don't know the stuff I'm struggling with. All this movement takes is for us to be willing to allow that which we protect ourselves against, that which we seek to hide from others, is the very thing God would transform if we just allow that false self to be crushed and God's power to flow out of us. The reason why a kingdom revolution will only come in kingdom ways is because it's the only thing that witnesses to the king. But throughout church history, we haven't done that. And so to end, I want to read a short little thing to you all and then talk about Clarence Jordan. Clarence Jordan started the Koinonia community and the um, worship team and those serving communion, you can uh, come forward as, as we do this. Koinonia community in the 1950s was an interracial community in Americas, Georgia, in the USA. He did his doctorate in New Testament Greek and he said he wanted to do his doctorate in New Testament Greek because he didn't want some jack-legged preacher from you know, what we would say, the outback, coming up to him and tying him in knots because he doesn't know his Bible because he wanted to live the mustard seed revolution. And so he did his doctorate in Greek and then he started this community based on the radical nonviolence of Jesus which fights with flowers to the surprise of the whole world, which conquers not with a sword but with a towel that washes feet, whose symbol of transformation is not peace through victory but victory through peace, whose symbol at the centre of the faith, once a symbol of humiliation and intimidation. Now this same symbol is a symbol of grace and of mercy. It's the symbol of the cross. And Clarence Jordan started this community and faced extreme pressure from the Ku Klux Klan and from racist groups. His house was firebombed and the community firebombed repeatedly. They would have clan caravans that would come through and shoot at anything. The, the signs, the houses, the cattle, leaving the community desperate. But Clarence knew something of this kingdom revolution. To pray for the kingdom of heaven is to pray for the church to stop trying to be the cedar trees of Lebanon and start trying to be a mustard seed revolution. To pray for the kingdom is to pray that the church won't be in power but found amongst the powerless in witness to God's kingdom breaking out 
The only way Christians transform society is by giving up cedar tree games and getting on with mustard seed means. Transformation only comes through the nonviolent love of Calvary. Yes, mustard seeds, we might be crushed. But that's when God's power is released. We can't pray for God's will while asserting and forcing our will on others. The gospel is not a way of ruling the lives of others. The gospel is the grace of getting in on the content of Christ's rule, that nonviolent grace, that Calvary-shaped love, the power of the resurrection, yes, the ascension made practical. The gospel invitation in the invitation this morning is to come around a table where the only qualification is really realizing we're not qualified. The only thing that makes us worthy is realizing that we're all unworthy. The only thing that disqualifies from us from here is actually judging others and thinking we're better than anybody else because the kingdom revolution looks like a table that's open to all directions where sinners like us can be involved in a mustard seed revolution. Christianity is always voluntary. Christianity renounces violence not because the gospel is private or just my personal opinion, but because the gospel is true. The gospel is Jesus and he is Lord. Let me make it plain. Yes, Jesus, that troublemaking rabbi from Nazareth who lived and was crucified being faithful to God's way of nonviolent love, he's risen from the grave as the world's true Lord. The claim that Jesus is Lord is as political as it is spiritual. It's not the politics of this world. It's the politics of God's love, which washes feet, which blesses enemies, which prays for those who are even despitefully killing him. Jesus' Lord is not just our opinion. Jesus' Lord is not just the truth that works for me. It's a claim about the very heart of reality and why we are willing to love even to the point of death. Jesus' Lord is a universal claim that the nonviolent love seen at Calvary that raised Jesus from the dead, that is the final word in history. I know it's not quite as palatable as spirituality and live your best life now, and hey, you can be a mustard seed, but one day you'll be a big cedar, but it's what's true. It's the gospel. The gospel is not a way to make sure history turns out right. The gospel is not a formula to make nations great. The gospel is not timeless truths with moral implication for society. Instead, the gospel is that very timely truth that Christ, that in Christ, a new world of love is not just on its way, but it's actually underway. But it has come through a cross and continues by crucifiable love. Clarence Jordan was needing representation and his very talented and intellectual brother, who later went on to become the senator of Georgia, his name was Robert. And he went to Robert and he said, Robert, you know what our community is going through. You know what the black people in our community are going through. You know we've been boycotted financially. No one's buying the farm's products. You know that the Klan are showing up and burning crosses. You know that they've bombed our place several times. Would you represent us? And his brother said, Clarence, you know my political aspirations. That's always code for I want to be a cedar tree. I can't do that. And Clarence said, Robert, I seem to remember that you and I both went forward on the same Sunday morning. And I'm guessing that the preacher asked me the same thing that he asked you. What did he ask you? He said, he asked me, would you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? 
He said, and what did you say? Because I said yes. He said, I said yes, but I'm going to follow Jesus up to a point. And Clarence interrupted and said, and would that point be the cross? And Robert shot back, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus to the cross, but not on the cross. Clarence said, I think you need to go back to your church and tell them that you're an admirer of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus. Because you're not willing to be crucified, to be crushed, to be part of this mustard seed revolution. And Robert said, Clarence, if all the church did that, if all the church were crucified, we wouldn't have a church. And Clarence said, if we are not willing to take up our cross and love like God has loved us, the question is, do we have a church? I'm not talking about silly games of who's in and who's out for some eternal reality. I'm talking about the very serious reality of God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to manifest what God is like. And it takes us laying everything down and declaring Jesus is Lord. And that's not a private reality for my heart, it's a public reality and is the reason why I won't enforce my agenda on others. And this morning the invitation at Cornerstone is the same invitation we share every week. Have you declared Jesus is Lord? Have you said that the love that we see in his life is the final word in history? Do you know that love for yourself? Have you experienced that love? Have you undergone that love? Those parts of your life which you long to hide, have you seen them transformed? Can you dare to believe that once was our shame that God's salvation will be seen in? Because this morning, that's the invitation. And practically what it looks like is not us being a lobby group to force our agenda on others. And the only time our neighbours hear from us is when we disapprove of something when they've never had us serve them previously. But instead, to join that movement where our weapons are towels that wash feet, not swords that leave blood through the streets.